Daniel Inhart, good to see you again. It's good to see you, George. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Another, you know, another day, another Option 5 mm-hmm. podcast. Um, as we've mentioned before, we're, we're doing a little um, digging in the archives lately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When we did, our recap, we, we did our recap episode number 60, um, I went back and I didn't listen to maybe all of them, but I did re-listen to a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. And it was like, whoa, we've covered a lot. 60 mm-hmm. episodes of basically roughly 30 minutes to hour, an hour long conversations. Yeah. That's like 60 hours worth of content. That's a lot of talking. I mean, nobody got time for that. Well, somebody, somebody, well, they're, hopefully, they're hopefully listening to it. We yeah, have please, some people that have time for that. Please keep subscribing yeah, go and listening ahead, to the Option know, 5 podcast. Just go ahead and give us a rating out there and tell yep. all your people, your neighbors, and yep. hopefully your neighbors Uncles. tell people that they enjoy to have around for like, you know, Thanksgiving or a family dinner or, or maybe just a driveway sitting where they sit out on a lawn chair and, you know, they sit by a bonfire and get all warm, you know, whatever. I don't know if we'll have time. I don't know if we'll have time. I don't know if time. I don't know. That was a really good. I was like, how far can you go with that story? Sometimes I just like to keep going just to see yeah. like how in my mind can I continue to go? And sometimes I'm like, wow. Right. I did not expect that. I don't know how to transition away from this moment. <laughs> There's, but you can't do it alone. There's no lone genius. Ah, uh, okay. That's a decent transition. It's a, a little it, bit of a stretch, but it, it was. It is. Okay, so in our previous um, episodes, in our previous recaps, we kind of went back to conversations you and I were having, but we've had a lot of inter- interview, <laughs> <our> interviews. <laughs> interviews, you might say, chats, talks. Chats. We've had a lot yeah. of talks with, um, th- let's be honest, the real professionals in this, this industry, um, which are other people than us. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, other with, professionals uh, yeah. that are really good. Including well, Richard Banfield. Yeah. Well, yeah. So you jumped right to it. So that, so yeah. Richard Banfield. So we talked to authors, we've talked to practitioners, we've talked to influencers in the space of either design, technology, product, um, mm-hmm. collaboration, product management, things like that. Um, yeah. Richard Banfield's been in the space for a long time. Has has been the author of um, a couple different books that really were, I think, transform transformational for some of our product managers and for our team. Um, just mm-hmm. really thorough thinking. He actually come to find out when on this episode, when you jump back in, you'll hear him talking about the fact that one of his core values was humble confidence as well. Mm-hmm. And that's what a posture we talk a lot about, right? Yeah. So I think he kind of has a same similar mindset mm-hmm. uh, when he yeah. approaches his teams and, and approaches yep. his work. And one of the things that I'm really glad we got to talk about is just the avoiding that, what did he call it? The lone, I want to get the... The lone genius. The lone genius, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, the idea that you can't create in isolation. I mean, obviously you can, but what does it look yeah. like to actually build something that um, it's not, it's more than art. It's something that you've created for other people. And by definition, if you're creating for others, there's got to be some aspect of community. There's got to be some aspect of working together as a team. That's and right. He's really, he's really, um, you'll hear in this interview that he's really, I mean, that's his focus is building product so through teams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and destroying those silos and, um, and working to see the perspective of others. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved his, he brought in like a biological factor into it. I mean, there's yeah, just, a, there's a lot of really cool, interesting um, aspects. And I think it was such a great um, pivotal moment in the podcast history 
that pulled together so many different themes that we were talking about already. And someone who's mm-hmm. already spent a lot of time thinking about this, both in his agency and in his r- new role at Envision. So um, we want to throw it back. This was, um, hold on, June. Oh yeah. Wait, hold June on. 15. Mm-hmm. This year? Mm-hmm. Wow. Time is just no longer a thing, man. It, that, that felt like a lot longer ago, but June 15th, uh, episode number 45, No Lone Genius, um, with our conversation with Richard Banfield. I hope you guys enjoy it. Daniel Linhart, how are you doing? How's uh, another day in paradise? I am doing great. I moved my office over the weekend yep. and I'm in a different room. I am no longer in a playroom. That is also that was also a makeshift office. So I feel a little bit better. Um, got everything moved up. Still need to do some decorating, but I'm feeling much more productive. And I have a window that I can look out and see the natural outside. light. Natural light. Um, yeah. well, cool. Um, yeah. Um, you know, I moved my what desk. About you? That's about How it. are you? Yeah, things are good. No, no complaints. No complaints. Right. Just moving into, moving to another day. Um, hey, we have a guest today. I'm really excited. Um, we got a chance to talk last week and he agreed to jump on a podcast with us. And I am super honored to have him because I've read many of his books and watched his videos and mm. I love everything that he, most of what he says. I mean, we'll, we'll figure <laughs> out, you know, throughout the conversation. I want to welcome Richard Banfield. Thank you so much for joining us today, Richard. And thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate you. Yeah. And thanks for reading the books. I think you and my mom and a couple other people. <laughs> I'm sure they've got a much far, further reach than that. <laughs> yeah. Although it is funny. Every time we put out a YouTube video, my mom did have to come out and say, like, should I stop being the first comment on every video? It's like, yeah, mom, you actually uh-huh. you should. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love the love. I love the love, but um, it's a different purpose, maybe. Um, well, thank you so much for jumping on. Um, I want maybe to give you a chance to tell a little bit about who you are and kind of what you're about. Um, I know you are, you've kind of moved into a role at Envision and, and I would love to hear your story a little bit. So maybe giving you a space to tell your story about how you got to where you are now. Um, and what's something, you know, as we talk about here a lot at option five, um, we're about small cross-discipline teams, right. That are helping individuals and organizations thrive through design technology and culture, right. That's, that's kind of our, our mission. Um, option five, just so you know, um, option five itself, the term option five actually comes with this idea. We had a proposal that we were going after years ago, like eight years ago we really weren't sure we were qualified to get it. But so we came up with all these like four brilliant ways that we get it. We'd have partners, we'd hire people and all this stuff. And then I think it was Dan, you said, um, or we could just option five it, which basically means say, say yes, yeah, and figure it out. We're going we're gonna to figure it out. Right. You get creative <laughs> and you, you step into the unknown and you take a risk. And I think it's those small iterative risks of challenges that push us forward. So mm. that's what option five is about. So maybe yeah. your option five story will come through. Um, yeah, I like that. I'm going to use it. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about yourself. I love it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's always awkward talking about yourself, but I, I think one of the themes throughout my life is just this natural curiosity of what's going on around me. I don't have a very um, typical career path where, you know, you went to school for something and you 
then did this thing that led to this other thing and it was very specifically around a career path or a, a, an industry that you wanted to be in. Mine's a bit of a dog's breakfast and really if you can peel back the layers, you just see a guy that doesn't have a lot of particular direction, but I have a lot of <laughs> curiosity. So it's mostly like finding my way through life. Just I like, love it. Right, I love right. it. Yes to a bunch of stuff. In fact, my favorite movie is Yes Man because he's just like, ah, going to do a yeah. whole bunch of yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, has to say yes. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's Jim Carrey, and he's, uh, you know, yes to say yes. He gets into an agreement with a friend. We has to say yes to everything that happens, and it's it's just hilarious. And uh, I actually pr- did that once. Um, agreed with a friend to say yes to everything for a year, and it was one of the funnest times of my life. Uh, <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. And it's not advisable because you tend to tend to get this you know, this bandwidth issue where you just run out of time to do yeah, all right, right. Right. <laughs> But you say yes to a lot of really cool things as well. So you end up going right. to interesting places and hanging out with interesting people. And uh, there may have been some psychedelics involved as well. But it, yeah, I mean, that's to be assumed. If you're saying yes, I mean, you have right. to say yes. Right. I get it. Right. It had to be one of the most dangerous of your years as well. It had to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, eventually all roads lead to product. At, you know, if you're in the if you're a curious person and you're living in the 21st century, a lot of the things that we touch are technology and where that interface between technology and humans comes into play really means product. I mean, that's mm-hmm. kind of another way of saying it is like you're interfacing between uh, an imagination of the human experience and how that's maybe experienced by others um, and, and where the technology makes that, that proxy happen. Mm-hmm. So I'm, Going way back, I'm a biologist, so I really love the idea of applying systems and biological thinking to the work that I do. Asking a lot of questions around like, why is this happening? Would this happen if technology wasn't around or if this technology was a little bit more primitive or, you know, what would happen if humans weren't around Would the same kind of experience be going on? Hmm. Uh, And you get some pretty cool answers. You know, there's nature has found a way to answer a lot of the big questions. So if you if you step away from the technology and you just think about it from the point of view of what's the problem that nature's trying to solve here, you get some really interesting, um, I guess, paths to follow. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. And that may not be always the best answer, but yeah, yeah, it's yeah. the way to go. Yeah. We've had so many different people with different backgrounds that ended up in product. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's been journalists, Actually, journalists is really interesting because they're really good at asking hard questions or the mm-hmm. questions that no one else would think about. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, definitely different people from science backgrounds, especially if it went towards the computer science. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. Biology, I don't think that you're a first biologist. Well, I mean, science, you know, it's kind of like the, it's the, the scientific method is really what you're thinking about yeah. right? yeah. as you approach any problem. And, and product is a lot about problem solving, right? Of course, right. you're presented with questions and you're trying to find answers and scientists were the first ones to really put that into a methodology. The scientific method is really a big question, a hypothesis, mm. and then mm-hmm. looking for ways to test or experiment your way through to an answer or a hypothesis on, you know, a null hypothesis in some cases, but still trying to get a pattern out of that and recognize where, where the themes might be. And, and that's why things like design sprints are really just relabeled. Mm-hmm. Yeah that same if you look at that process you look at the scientific method mm-hmm. and you look at a design sprint it's really just the same thing except that it's got a bunch of cool little labels on mm-hmm. right yeah. um 
Go ahead, Dan. I was going to say, Richard, um, we're going to get into this, your book, Product Leadership, and a lot of the um, blogs I've read and, and uh, videos I've watched, there's this passion of where product and leadership meet, meets teams. Um, you said all paths lead to product. So I'm kind of curious, um, when you, in your, in your expertise around product teams and leadership, did a successful team lead you to product? Or did you go down the path of product and then you started to see how, te how teams can work well together? Would, was it both at the same time or was there one before the other? I'm curious. Yeah, good question. The, the answer is that I see that the team is the product. Mm. Oh, interesting. Okay. The metaphor for you there, maybe not quite as practical. Yeah. As Unpack it. Unpack that. Yeah. That if you think about it, the grand design, the best design that you can come up with is the team. So if you can mm. touch that, then all the work that comes out of that is going to be better. So instead of starting with the tech or starting with what the product use might be, start with, is this the right team? Do we mm -hmm. have the leadership? Are we basing our work in the right set of values and principles? And let that become the foundation for the work. Because mm -hmm. if you look at, at, at teams that, or founders even, that generally are successful in some serial manner, they work with the same people over and over again. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, a friend of mine, Dave Cancel, who runs Drift here in, in Boston, um, he's pretty much worked with the same collection of people in some form or the other over the, the course of a decade or two. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not always exactly the same people, but they tend to find their way back. And it's the same kind of people, people yeah. with very high uh, EQ, very high understanding of what it means to work with others, uh, what it means to solve problems with people versus the lonely genius in the room, right? The goodwill mm -hmm. thing, thing eh, not so much, right? It's too much independence, too much the lone genius idea. And the successful people tend to build products, teams, and then product on top of that. Mm. You see them working very closely with other folks. So I don't know if that's a good answer, but that's the, no, that's great. That That's the, that's the intersection is that I, I, when I was studying biology, I was trying to figure out, what living things did to be more successful than other living things, you know, mm -hmm. Darwinian form, like what's more fit than the other thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and in the human context, I was always like, well, why do these people or these leaders do better than others? And initially I was really, really interested in uh, folks that did extreme things like explorers, like how did they do better and survive those ridiculous mm -hmm. situations that they're yeah. in. And why was that, you know, why did, like for instance, there were certain people who would continuously go and be successful at exploring or mountain climbing and others that would die. I mean, right. that's a, <laughs> a pretty extreme product team environment. Um, but I was like, like wh why? And so if you work backwards from the extreme versions and, mm -hmm. and take it to a much more docile experience, you know, the kind of work that we do, you can apply those things. And I, I, so I like going out to the fringes and seeing what extreme teams are doing, you know, looking at Red Bull extreme sport teams and, mm -hmm. and those, just the, the individuals that work on those teams, the teams that create those teams. So there are high functioning teams that produce those teams. Mm -hmm. um, high, you know, Formula One, uh, military teams, like why do they work well and mm -hmm. successfully? And, and could we learn something from that? You know? mm. 
is there something there? You know, is it applied in some way? And I don't yeah. mean just like use all the sports terminology or military terminology in your conversations because that's kind of, I don't know, you know, in a way that's jargon. It doesn't mm -hmm. really. Right, right. Mm -hmm. But if you can learn why they do so well, then you can apply it. And so hopefully I've done that. Have you, found, yeah. have you found there are consistent, not universal, but maybe consistent themes or principles that you've seen across each of those teams? I'm, I'm, I'm feeding yeah. it a little bit, but Every, I, I'm, <laughs> everybody asks this question, right? This is like the number one question I get is like, yeah. I haven't read your book yet, but can you tell me what the themes are? Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I have read the book, so I'm kind of, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's funny because there are, there are definitely things that are not common, right? There, where you grew up, um, how you were educated, uh, mm -hmm. the culture that you're from, th those things don't really stand out specifically. Now that's, that's independent of privilege, right? So there's definitely privilege plays a part. And if you were yeah, right, a white right. guy, you've got a great education, you're more likely to end up with that high paying product job than if you were a black woman, say from Ghana. Right. Mm -hmm. That's, right. Th those things are the thing. But if you if you were to somehow create a level playing field, then those kinds of differences don't seem to make as much of a difference to the work being done and the, the ability for people to work together. Mm. What does really make a difference is this idea of being, um, Carol Dweck talks about open mindset versus closed mindset. Mm -hmm. um, the people that wrote the, um, uh, the five conscious leadership choices or commitments, I think it's called, no, the 15 uh, conscious leaders, uh, something along those lines. They write about the above the line and below the line. Mm. And so yes. lots of people have written about this in different ways, but the, the, the core principle there is, are you in a open learning mindset mm -hmm. or are you in the mindset where you have to be right? Right. Mm -hmm. And that is the critical difference. That's like the thing that makes the, the that's the characteristic you see in, in teams that are successful is, are we a learning organism? Are we a learning organization? Are we a learning team? Or are we status managing to be right? Mm -hmm. It's interesting we, you say that because Carol, Carol Dweck is actually mentioned in Angela Duckworth's uh, book, Grit. Um, she has a great TED talk. Yeah. And she mentioned she... As a culture, we are obsessed with this idea of natural talent, which, you know, there is natural talent, but we almost attribute any success story to, man, they are just talented. I mean, they can just naturally do that. There might be some reason, you know, for that. There might be some uh, that's actually true about that. But what she is finding is that those that have that mindset typically have a fixed mindset. I have to put everything on my talent. And so when you talk about that and bringing together teams, it's almost like you have to focus on a balance between those that do have a natural talent, but also those that have a growth mindset and may not be as talented, but they'll outwork you any day of the week, you know, to get better and they're curious and they're willing to learn. Um, so that's interesting. You say that because it, it's fresh in my mind as well is that you want individuals that are just, I don't care how hard I, you know, how hard I fall, I'm going to get back up and keep, keep learning and get better. And there's just success story after success story where a lot of the people that we might look up to, have a very much a growth mindset versus focused on their, on their talent. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think that we probably as leaders and as organizations, we often make the mistake of hiring for skill. Right. So yeah. 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 
Whereas what we should be doing is hiring for character. Mm -hmm. Can the person learn? Can they apply that learning? Can they work with others to help others through that process as well? So are they coachable and also good coaches? There's got to be that yeah. intake. And, and that's so hard to figure out when you're hiring. So very often it fails at that point. Mm -hmm. What we did at my previous company was created an, an apprentice program. Yep. So we would take a, a big intake. So there would maybe be 150 people applying for the, that semester or cohort. And of that 150, we would do our best to get it down to a number that was reasonable. Say it's like you know, 30 years ago. And then we'd invite those people to spend a weekend with us. We put them through a hackathon, but it's a, a way for us not to judge their skill sets or their ability to push pixels, write code or anything like that, but rather how do they work with others? How do they show mm -hmm. up as human beings? And, and very often we'd give them tests to do that were tricks. I mean, we were just tricking them into seeing how they would behave. Like, you know, right. yeah. if they would absolutely fail, like how would they respond to that failure? Would they learn from that? Would they uh, be disgusted in themselves and, and, and walk out of the room? Um, and then from that, we would take the, the folks that rose to the top in terms of character and we would put them into a skills training program. And that skills training program was a combination of coursework Mm -hmm. and mentored work that was customer facing. So the idea there is practice, but practice in a context that actually allows you to learn, knowing mm -hmm. well that there are going to be risks for everybody involved. So our customers knew that we would be putting those clients in this case, we would be putting those people, those apprentices on those projects, accompanying some of the senior people and that there was going to be you know, a price or a value associated with that. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. But everybody would be learning on the job. That right. They, right. The, you know, the client would assume some part of that risk and we would assume the majority of that risk. And we would go into that relationship knowing that context was the chief learning uh, constraint in that, for those people. And then coming out of that, we would be able to say, wow, we've worked with you for three months you definitely have both the initial and the long-term character that fits in with our culture. And then we could offer them a full-time job or maybe it didn't fit out and like, Hey, this is not a great fit. We love you anyway. you got a great apprentice. We paid you because it's mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, and because you worked at a premium firm uh, working on some amazing stuff, your portfolio now works great. And you, you essentially escalated your opportunity into the market and, and the focus there, of course, was to take in um, anybody that we thought would need a little extra help. So all of its privileged things that we experience as white guys, we would focus mm -hmm. on. Let's make sure that not only white guys get in on this, like you know, totally mm -hmm. support on that journey um, and focus on, on, on diversity and inclusion. Yeah. I, I mean, it's very, <clears throat> I love that because it's very similar. I, I do like your weekend hackathon. Uh, that's an idea I might steal because I think that's a really neat way to, to vet um, down to your kind of core apprentices. We also have an apprenticeship program, almost, almost verbatim. We do it six months because our internships are, are three months and we have a six month apprenticeship. Um, we've hired most of those apprentices and same focus on um, diversity. And, and honestly, one of the, one, it was one of the greatest ways for us to expand uh, specifically our women in tech um, mm -hmm. space, which mm -hmm. it was just super cool. And we've got some of our best teams are 
predominantly women developers and things like that. So that's mm -hmm. just a really neat place to be. So I love that mindset. And you, something you said earlier where it's um, about the people that are coachable. And I know Dan talks a lot about this. If we, if we even have an inkling that someone's not coachable, most of the time we'll walk away. Um, mm -hmm. It's, it's, it is a deal breaker for us. Um, you can learn, you know, react, you can learn Figma or, or envision or, you know, sketch or whatever it is that you're going to need mm -hmm. to use that day. But if you're not coachable, you will actually be willing to learn. Um, mm -hmm. We refer to that um, sometimes as humble confidence. Mm -hmm. So for us, um, there's, you know, you need to be humble enough to learn, but confident enough that you can get better. Because mm -hmm. right? there's oftentimes that self-deprecating humility, which actually is almost just as bad as the, mm -hmm. I'm not willing to change and I'm not willing to be yeah. coached. It's, mm -hmm. I, I'm self-deprecating to the point where I, I won't, I can't do that. You know? That was actually one of our values. Oh yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So maybe yeah, I no, stole that from you. Maybe I stole <laughs> the more the merrier. Yeah. Yeah, we, actually, we open sourced our apprentice program because it was so successful. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. You know, hopefully I, I think it's one of those areas that's undervalued in, in yeah. the U S mm -hmm. I agree. Without uh, question. Apprentices are very, very much part of the culture there and uh, valued mm -hmm. or not valued you know, people confuse apprenticeships with internships and it's not the same thing. I mean, so yeah. Like really yeah. learning on the job and, and, and getting the confidence you need to be able to do the work you need to do. Yeah. Just one quick case of that. My brother-in-law is, um, he's very good with machines. And so, I mean, he, the size of the machines he works on are about the size of a, a football field. I mean, they're right. making that size that it's that level of tooling to make, uh, these machines and his, his apprenticeship is two years, two years long. Um, and to be apprenticed under these master technicians. Um, and it's a great gig. He gets to travel around to different cities because the companies with is global. Um, but when he said apprenticeship, I was thinking, oh, six months. He goes, no, two years. I'm like, that's awesome. You know, two years of learning and becoming a master. So um, I love that he's doing it. It fits his mindset. He's a learner, um, loves working with his hands on machines. And it was just like, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. In some ways, I'm jealous of that. Um, we learned by starting a company instead of, you know, getting <laughs> like it's the other it was, way. Yeah. It's, it was complete <laughs> ignorance to go like, well, why, why couldn't we? That was it? our first option. Five million. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so let me, let me ask you a question. How much, you know, I think that the, there's this adage of like the rate of change is continuing to increase. Right. So we're, there is so much that's changing. You are seeing more and more companies move to a product mindset or maybe a design thinking mindset or whatever, you know, whatever term you want to put around that. What are other things that you see changing in the product design development world um, kind of right in front of us? What do you, where do you think things are, are moving? Um, well, the right answer is- it's a Big question, it's a big question. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, um, it depends on the context, right? So it depends on the size of the organization, what level of maturity they're at, in mm -hmm, terms of, mm -hmm. uh, their industry, their, the particulars of that organization, where they might be in their own cycle. So early stage companies need to behave in a certain way to achieve certain things. And those things mm -hmm. are not going to be appropriate as they get bigger. So yeah, there aren't, um, there's, there's certainly not like universal things that are going to work for everybody, but you do see the environmental change that's happening right now, especially yeah. around the COVID uh, pandemic is forcing companies to collaborate in ways that they haven't had to. Mm -hmm. So that's, the big story, right? Transformation to that end goal where you can all work in any environment from home, from 
puppy shop, whatever you choose, ultimately. That was going to happen, but it was probably going to take 10 years. Now it's happened yeah. in three months and right. it's going to continue to happen. Uh, and I think the last thing I saw was that 70% of people who currently work from home as a result of COVID do not intend on going back. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's a huge, that's a huge that, massive shift. Yeah. So I think that means a lot for every part of the, the product development and creation process, because not only are we expected to work as a team and try and work cross-functionally in some way that ultimately produces a, a product or some mm -hmm. kind of outcome, but we also have to work with our customers. We have to work with our clients in your case um, and their customers. And it means having the context that's required for that empathy in order to be a successful product person. So, you know, how do you do user testing? How do you do field testing? How do you do service design? Um, those are all really big questions that are not clearly answered right now. Mm -hmm. there, are, there are some point solutions to that, but I think we don't have a universal answer to where that's headed. And still some time needs to pass before we know exactly what's going to happen there. Mm -hmm. So that that's really critical. And then working with partners. So partners could be your, your clients, but they could be the other vendors in the process who provide you with services or uh, I don't know about you guys, but when we were running Crystal Soil, I don't think we ever did a product project, product project where we didn't work with somebody else. It might've been yeah, a branding agency or mm -hmm. PR company or offshore engineering firm. Like there was mm -hmm. somebody involved in doing something and we were working with them and and so we, or even multiple parties in the same organization. I remember doing this project for FedEx, and I think we did nine different projects for four different divisions of FedEx, and none of them had ever talked to each other. Right, know. of course. It's Isn't this a like, common story? Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's no, like um, knowledge transfer or right. uh, momentum or, or flywheel that's created by working with those people because there's, there's such a lot of uh, siloed work going on. And so I think we've, we're starting to see that breakdown, but we're also starting to see different kinds of silos form in replacing that. So these are silos of, you know, accessibility. You know, mm -hmm. do you have access to people? Do you have the time? You know, you've got a sick kid at home right now, you're probably at 20 or 30% of your right. normal uh, availability and productivity. So what does that mean for you? What does that mean for your team? What does it mean for mm. the work that you're doing? So I think we're, we're trying to figure that stuff out and, and that's the macro story right now. But I think individually there might be, you, you might have a question for me that focuses on a particular type of customer or a particular type of organization or, or uh, industry that I can be more specific about instead of sounding like a wishy-washy designer. No, I, think, I, no, I think that's really helpful. And I know that it is, it's kind of a broad question, but I think what we're, we're kind of trying to pull out from that. I mean, a lot of our customers are either you know, large scale enterprises, which like, mm -hmm. as you said, they have multiple divisions of people that may or may not know what this, what the left hand is doing or what the right hand is doing. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think we, we kind of preach the same thing with this idea of as much as possible, be bullish about, you know, reducing bottlenecks and reducing silos. And that's really difficult. And even the call that I just got off of, that is one of the biggest challenges. This company has, you know, 60,000 employees. Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you possibly wrap your head around getting buy-in or onboarding or, you know, um, this particular product team is doing this thing that maybe 90% of the company may not ever know they existed. Um, and how do you get change to take place? 
and amplify that by they're all in their bedrooms, right? right. <laughs> you know, and it's a right. different, and they're, and by the way, they're not used to that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So that's, yeah. that is a structural change. We, as we've been thinking about this framework for how we think about product teams and the work that we do, we talk about disciplines, postures, and structures. Mm -hmm. And um, postures are about your mindset, the way that you approach things, being coachable, having a learning mindset. Um, your disciplines, of course, the things that you do, the rhythms you create, the ceremonies you have, et cetera. And then structures are about those things that kind of define the direction you're going, the way that you work, the guide mm -hmm. rails, right? And mm -hmm. the hard thing is, is that structures, I use the analogy that when, if you have a, a bone in your body, it it's, makes up the structure of your body. But if that bone breaks, it hurts. Now the mm -hmm. bone will heal back stronger, but while it's broken, you are incapacitated. It is an uncomfortable right. situation to be in. And I think we just went through a breaking of a, a structural bone because now we have to have a new defined way of working. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing changes like that happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those structures are, it's, is asking the question, what's true about your world right now? Like what's steady? What's going to, what's the constraint? What's true? What's the, the field of play you have to operate in? And then you have the other statement or cliche of like, my world was just rocked. You know, it's like, it's the same thing. It's like, what was true about my world is no longer true. And so new constraints, new, new structures have to be created, have to be found um, in order to progress in a somewhat productive way. Yeah, and you see how this all connects back to biology, right? So this is all behavior. Mm -hmm. And depending on whose particular point of view you have on behavioral change, um, you know, like BJ Fogg is a really good example. You know, he's, he's created the BJ Fogg model where you've got a habit forming matrix, essentially, like what needs to change right. for you to adopt a new set of behaviors. Right. And it's so simple that you show it to anybody and they go like, it can't be this simple. Like it's yeah, right. that <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yet it is that simple and it's also that difficult. Mm -hmm. So anytime you say to somebody, look, all I need to do to change this behavior is to break this one bone. And they're like, well, I'm not going to break that bone. Mm. You know, it's, it's mm -hmm. the changing that's the hard. It's not the change. Yeah. The, the outcome is fine. It's the, the part between that. And, and so when you think about the three things that you can influence, they very rarely happen at the same time. So you can pick and choose those. And then you get a situation like COVID where all those things happen at the same time. So the three things are environmental change can happen very suddenly or very slowly. Um, it, there is event change. So this could be like a heart attack, right? Mm -hmm. so, um, in some cases it's, it's, bad change or good change very right. sudden right and then the other one is habits so what's the routine in your case um you know what's the discipline what's the ritual or routine that you've adopted and so very rarely do those three things happen at the same time but then suddenly you've got a pandemic you've got environmental change it's happened very very fast mm -hmm. uh, to the point where it's literally changing lives right and then you've got new habits so now we're all working from home we're doing different things uh, than we were a week or two or a month ago and now uh, all those three things are happening over a long period of time so there's this mm -hmm. stasis period where nothing is like it's changed but then nothing's changed so that that bone is healing again right if you think about the importance of leadership and teams it's a constant cycle of that like what are the environmental things and those could be anything from incentives to structure so like structure around an organization the incentives are really important 
you if you like uh, going super deep and geeking out and stuff, there's a book called Loon Shots, L-O-O-N. I haven't Shots. read that, no. Uh, Safi Bakal. So he's a, a physicist who's looked at essentially trying to create an, uh, a theory of, of, of everything around, around innovation. So what's the E equals MC squared equivalent for innovation? Okay, okay. And really it's about those, those things at work, right? Those three changes. Um, what are the incentives? What are the, the, the skill sets that you need in order to make those things work or not? And are those things related to the work that needs to be done? So you might hire somebody for a skill set, but if it's not relevant, given this new environment we're in, then where right. are we? What are we going right. to do? Right. Um, see we see you later. Found, yeah. Yeah. We just found that recently where we had to make some changes to our organization because some roles were just not relevant anymore. It's not mm. the person's fault. They didn't fail. They weren't doing a bad job. We're just like, right. we don't do events anymore. Right. Like, right. We're going to do <laughs> like right. Right. that kind of marketing anymore. So what are we going to do about that? So I think um, understanding those components, understanding behavior, understanding the biology and the psychology behind that makes you a much more sensitive leader because you start thinking about what needs to happen every day, all the time, regardless of which team you're in or what company you're working at. You know, all of those things are relevant all the time. If you mm -hmm. understand behavioral models, mm -hmm. it's more where you work. Yeah. You're going to find it useful. So first principles, understanding that stuff, being a biologist, being a psychologist, it's going to make you a really good leader and team member, mm -hmm. leader, and that's going to help you wherever you go. So if you get if your job gets, I don't know, made redundant today and you're no longer relevant, that's because you misunderstood how to change. You misunderstood right. how to change others, how to change with your team, not because, um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but you get the, the idea. Like yeah. you can change, you can mold if you understand those basic principles. Mm -hmm. um, or you can make yourself more relevant, I should say. We, we talk about it, and it's not always true. And maybe this word gets overused a bit. It's this idea of being adaptive, right? I mean, if you can, if you can adapt to a new environment, um, you know, new, uh, adapting in an event um, or change your habits to, to even think more adaptively, creating mm -hmm. a habit of accepting that change mm -hmm. is part of your habitual um, process. We've been really trying to coach our team and actually part of our language we're putting out is that you have, to, you have to expect and assume it is going to change, whatever it is, it's, it is going to change. I mean, software, right? We're, we build tech, we build, build applications for enterprises and that software will change over time. And, and, and the way people interact with it will change over time and the people working on it will change over time and the people using it will change over time. And being able to keep up with that change um, is, is how you not only survive, but that's how you thrive. It's how you actually become someone that is able to look back and go, I said yes for a yeah. year worth of uh, you know, risks. It's someone that is able to say, we started a company when we had no business doing such a thing. And, mm -hmm. um, and I think that's such a great mindset to have. And I think one of the things that we look for when, when we're hiring a team is, are you adaptable? Mm -hmm. Can you can you expect that tomorrow you're going to work on a cybersecurity client and the next day you're going to work on a plant app? Mm -hmm. Okay. But those are two distinctly different things, we right? We joke that if you wanted to be, if you wanted to work in a product design agency or product creation agency, you were also signing up to be the most interesting person at any cocktail party because yes. you can talk on any topic 
Yes. Like somebody will say, oh, I'm in cybersecurity. You're like, great, I got you. Like I can talk <laughs> that's to right, that's right. cybersecurity. Oh, How do you right. handle your NIST oh, situation? Which part of healthcare are you in? Like, yeah. Like, you know, you can go deep. So, you know, that adaptability is, again, another biological principle. Like yeah. things that survive environmental change are the ones that are most adaptable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Um, so I'm kind of curious. One, I'm maybe we're, I want to watch my time here, but one of the things that I'm, I'm interested in, when you, when you think back to either that your, your company or maybe the role that you're in now, if you're trying to work with teams that are growing and changing and adapting, um, either the product team as a whole or the individuals and the skills in those teams, how, what are some ways that you think about, I don't want, I hate overusing the word measure, but how do you, how do you think about the growth of those individuals um, of that team? How do you, how do you know if your team is progressing forward more than saying, well, principally you ought to work like this. And if you are check, you're good. I mean, that's something we're always questioning is how do we, measure the growth yeah how do we we assess yeah how do we assess that a person is is getting becoming more adaptable or is getting better in their skill um i'm kind of curious how you've done that or how you've seen that done um so i think we've already answered this question in a way you're looking for people who are willing to adapt and change so it's not are you adaptable but what have you adapted to what Mm. were the circumstances of that so when you're interviewing it's actually interesting to have these conversations. Tell me about the last organization you worked with and a project you worked on that didn't go well or you had a relationship that didn't work and, and what did you do about that? Right, of course. Um, and that can be applied to the folks that work with you right now. Hey, given the circumstances that we've just experienced over the last quarter, how did people show up? Did they show up saying, um, I'm not going to change. I'm not going to do anything. You've got to, you've got to change for me. You've got to kind of adapt to my circumstances. Or were they able to say, okay, this is the new normal, and we're going to have to make some adjustments, and um, everybody's going to do that together. We're going to work mm-hmm. together and make, uh, find a way to do that. So, and I'll give you a good example. So, um, when people started working from home very suddenly in early March. Mm-hmm. Uh, my team wrote an entire book called Remote Working for Teams in two weeks and published it. Hmm. I love it. I love it. So, so, you know, showing up on the day, being relevant to the particular environmental situation, saying this is what people need right now. Mm-hmm. This is what our customers need. This is what we need. We need that discipline, that guide right now. And mm-hmm. I'm sure everybody else does and, and get it out there. And then take a step back and say, okay, well, what's the next thing, right? We may not need to talk about remote working forever because there's a point at which people learn those new skills and then they Mm -hmm. want to talk about the next thing. And then for us, it was, gee, a lot of this has to do with tooling. Like we just not set up to work remote, like we work as Envision's a remote company, but most of our customers were like, well, what do we do? Like, how do Mm -hmm. we work? So we were able to say, well, have you looked at these options and these tools or these experiences and start thinking about how to convert what they were doing to to new things. So getting back to your original question, which is how how willing were those people to see those new things, adapt Mm -hmm. to them, and then Mm -hmm. apply themselves to them? And do they have a way to show you what they were able to adapt to and, and create in order for that adaptation to be visible to the world? Because uh, we're not just talking about having a good attitude, right? We're mm. obviously part of it, but it's not the only thing. 
you can actually see what you were able to do with this new understanding of the world, this, this new perception of where you are in that context and, and what you did about it. So for us, um, we threw out most of the OKRs that we had set for the quarter and we looked at what we were able to adjust to because mm -hmm. those OKRs were irrelevant. Like right, now, right. Yeah. It's not going to be the same. Like, yeah. You, yeah. you didn't achieve your goals this year. You know, well, it was 2020. Like nobody right. achieved the All the right. are out. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Rather like, well, what did you do in response? Yeah. So if we throw everything out, what were you able to do with a vacuum that was created by that? Were you, mm -hmm. Did you sit back and complain? Or did you step up and say, you know what everybody needs right now is this thing or these outcomes that we can create together and, and, and go and do that. So I think, you know, the, the, the problem with having a universal measure for everybody is that it's really not applicable. Right. Um, everybody's right. doing different things. So what you want to do is have principles. We spoke about this the other day when we were on, I know I went back to my team and like, guys, principles is you just what, you know, like, I mean, it's, it's already in, ingrained in who we are, but it's important. Right. So maybe we threw out OKRs, maybe we threw out our goals, maybe we decided not to do the things we were going to do, but were we aligned with our principles? Yeah. If say one of those principles is, is humble uh, confidence, where did that show up? Right. So I have hired and fired people on principles alone. Mm-hmm. You can show up and you show the principles and I know that I can teach you the skills because that language or that tool or whatever can be taught. You go to YouTube, learn a tool. Like it's just not that hard. Right, like right. Mm -hmm. old thing. Um, but can I teach you character? Can I teach you <clears throat> coachability and learning? Uh, probably not. Mm. Maybe, but I, honestly, I don't really want to be in the education business. I'd rather be in the hiring people who've already got there and then layer on top of that specifics mm -hmm. so and again and same thing with firing like you can let somebody go because they didn't align with principles and that's super easy if you think about it because both of them then agree like the person who's doing the firing and the person who's getting fired were like yeah i didn't show up as that like you said you wanted this and we agreed on that and that was a principle of the company and that's the environment we create and we didn't do it right. so right. it's an easy exit I think we've only had one circumstance. We haven't had to, we've been blessed in that. I think we've, we've, we've tried to hire people intentionally for that. Right. So that we're, you're taking in the right people. So mm -hmm. we haven't had to let too many people go. And we've, there are people we probably should have let go away sooner than we, you know, we did. But um, I remember having that exact same conversation with someone who we were trying to say, Hey, we're willing to, to kind of work with you on this particular skill um, that you can grow in. And, and, but to be fair, five different clients have asked for you to be taken off their projects. And, um, so that's kind of hard to figure out how I'm going to, you know, and it, the person came back and basically, you don't have a right to tell me that I need to improve. And it was like, oh, well, sweet. Um, it's nice. It's been nice working with you. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, that I'm made not, it very I'm easy. I'm not looking right? to be, I'm not looking yeah. to be coached. Oh, right. Okay. Um, well, that, yeah, it, and it, got and like, like coachability yeah. or learning or, adaptability is core to the company, then that's, then you're not saying, I don't like you. Right. Or my opinion is different from your opinion. You're saying this organization is built around these pillars. That's it. And, and you're not showing up to support that pillar. So it's an easy conversation then. It's not you mm -hmm. against that person. Richard, as you talk about principles, do those typically align with um, organizational values? Is that what you mean when you talk about principles or are they also principles that 
uh, can be specific to a team. Like if you have your own squad of five, six, seven people, these are the principles that we operate by. How do you, are they, do they ladder up to values? Are they the same? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so there's this idea of decision stacking, which I really like. And the decision stack is your company vision. Maybe it's a mission. So some, I wouldn't say they're interchangeable, but some companies prefer a mission and some of them prefer a vision. So you've got your vision, you've got your values, and then you may have principles for each team that are different. So for instance, Mm -hmm. if you're, I don't know, if you're, if you're Tesla, for example, you make a lot of different products. Mm-hmm. So your, your universal vision for Tesla, the brand, is we're going to accelerate sustainable energy. I don't know, something yeah. like that, right? Yeah. But then what are your principles around making cars versus photovoltaic cells versus batteries versus flamethrowers, right? Like... <laughs> like those principles are not going to be the same for each team because those mm. team principles are both yeah. very, very contextual and right. they need to be actionable. So you need to point at them and say, it was really important that we showed up like this and behaved like this to your posture and, and um, which is the first thing, structure, posture. postures, disciplines and structures. So you, you need to show up with these things and they needed to align with these principles yeah. and we need to be able to see them in action. Right. The values, yeah, you see them in action sometimes, but sometimes you don't see them in action. You just see them in attitude. You see them mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. in the way that people present uh, in terms of humility. Like humility isn't an action. It's That's more right. subtle than that. Mm-hmm. So you want to have principles that are very relevant. And, and what I like to see is team-based principles. In other words, the team has authored the principles. Mm-hmm. So in your company, it's probably not necessary because it's small enough that you don't have like lots and lots of different yeah. teams doing different things. Right. So we're essentially doing the same stuff. But at, at an organization, an enterprise, we've got lots of individuals doing lots of different things, working on, on multiple products. Then you want some specificity around how those principles are formed around that context and how they're authored. Because mm-hmm. if they're just coming down from the top, eh, maybe they won't be absorbed by the team in the same way that if they authored them and owned them. And and in a small company, the you guys, for example, like you author those things because it's small enough. Right. And then the teams can come back and say, hey, we tried this out and it's not working exactly how we expected. Can we tweak that or change that? That's, that's a definitely a scenario for you. Mm-hmm. But in a bigger organization, they may have, vision and values as a proxy for principles until the team can author them themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's really helpful. And it, I, I'm, I'm watching our time. We don't have time to nerd out more and I would love to because um, literally just jumping off the call I was on is a sales call. And I think one of the reasons we realized we might align potentially with this client is around the fact that they have defined a lot of what those principles are, even on their side, on their team. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And they do align in many ways with our culture, our, our ways of seeing product development, cross-discipline teams, small teams, and even in start, inside of a very large organization. That's really exciting. Um, I, want to, I want to wrap up here. Um, where are, or what is maybe something that you're excited about um, maybe something that you're working on right now, um, something that's having a vision or uh, something you're personally side project, what's something you're excited about that's going on right now? Um, or maybe generally speaking, 
where can people find you to learn more about um, you? So the thing I'm most excited about right now is standing up a digital services group at, at Envision. So think about how um, we as an organization care about the, what we call the maturity journey of our customers. So we see them moving towards high maturity when they're doing things like working cross-functionally or collaborating across different parts of the organization or adopting uh, design strategies, you know, anything that relates to ultimately working better with others. Right. So mm -hmm. what I've tried to do is think about that from a scalable point of view and say, how can everybody get that? How can everybody learn how to be a relevant piece of that maturity journey and go from, I don't know what the hell I'm doing to, Hey, I'm a learning organization now. And we're in this, this kind of cycle of, of things getting better and better. And that, that pathway, I think we can teach. Yeah. We can, and so I essentially create a, a digital space where you can go and learn these things um, and influence a lot of people in that way, in a positive way, like create a lot more design thinkers or um, strategic thinkers or people with a product mindset or a problem mindset. Where they, you know, I think our world would be a better place. I honestly mm -hmm. think that system costs everything right now and you just walk out in the street and have a look at this. Um, yeah, right. All of our systems are broken and we need to design new systems because we ultimately rise to the level of our systems. And right now we've risen to the level of that system, especially in our kind of socioeconomic mm -hmm. landscape right now. Right. right. And that designers need to show up and make that change, right? Designers need to create that new system. Whether you're an engineer or a designer or a product person or a politician or an activist, you're designing that change in some form so that ultimately that resonates with the new values that we think are important in our world. So I'm going to try and influence that in my small way. And that's what I'm excited about. So, awesome. I think that's a thing that's a really, that, that is worth being excited about. Um, I love that. And I love seeing honestly the growth that Envision has experienced. We were, gosh, we were super early adopters of Envision. I remember mm -hmm. thinking back to, I, I reached out to them when they came out of, with their beta, I think 2011, 2012-ish timeframe. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I said, Clark, you know, hey, this is who I am. And he was actually still responding to emails personally. And, um, and then I remember my photo was on the site for, for like six months. And I was like, <laughs> oh, that's kind of cool. They put me on there. I don't even, I mean, we'll see if it goes anywhere. And like now to see where Envision's gone is really mm -hmm. cool. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I know it must be a, a really neat thing to be a part of that team as it's, as it's yeah. growing and doing great work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I think this has been really, really helpful and it aligns with so much of the things that we're thinking about right now. And I think you're right. This way of thinking is an opportunity in many ways to not just help build great products, which is awesome, but also maybe potentially change the world, which is really amazing. So thank you. Well, thank you both. My name is Mary Carnes, and I'm a digital product designer at Crema, which means I design the interface and user experience for the different products we build as a team. For each product I'm designing, I work with a team of around three to seven individuals, usually a product manager, a developer or two or three, a test engineer, and sometimes a product strategist. I love working at Crema because the culture is so supportive. 
Not only do my peers and leaders want me to become a better designer, but they also care about my growth as an individual. I honestly get to work alongside some of the best people I know. Option 5 is a podcast by Crema, a digital product agency that creates web and mobile apps for disruptive companies and industry leaders. We believe that design, technology, and culture can help create a world where individuals and companies thrive. Learn more at crema.us.